0: Hey guys and welcome to a special edition of the Money Podcast that's called Money News You'll Really Use. The concept is simple. We subscribe to tons of financial publications and every month we read hundreds of articles. Then, once every couple of weeks, we give you the highlights to bring you up to speed on the important news that affects your money. Think of it as like a little investor's almanac. In part 1 of today's show, we're going to discuss where we are now and what's happened in the markets this month. In part 2, we'll go over important news stories, and in part 3, We'll go over recent investments the three of us have made or just talk about stuff in general. Then, time allowing, we'll do a listener question or two. I'm your host, Stacy Johnson. My co-host, as usual, is Miranda Marquette. Hello, Miranda. Hello, Stacy. Listening in and sometimes contributing is our producer and novice investor, Aaron Freeman. Hey, Aaron. Hey, guys. Let's get the ball rolling, but first, a quick disclaimer. We're going to discuss specific investments in this podcast, including things we personally invested in. But they're, they're not recommendations. Oh, no, because what's right for us may not be right for you. Before you invest in anything, you do your own research and you make your own decisions. OK, let's get back to the news. Let's start with where we are now and where we've been this month. First of all, it is, we're, we're doing this podcast on September the 16th. We're actually going to talk about, though, what's happened since, from September 1st to the 15th, so halfway through the month. Um, the Dow, as, as of yesterday's close, the 15th, was at 35388 it was down about 2% in the two weeks from September 1st to September 15th. The NASDAQ, which is where your tech, technology stocks live, that was down about 1% the first two weeks of September. The Russell 2000, which is where little guys live, little stocks, little companies, small caps, uh, that was down about 2% also, like the Dow. So the first two weeks of September were not very good. Traditionally, September is not a very good month. Yeah, I was just going to say. Historically, it's the worst month of the year. Why? Why is that? Well, I I think because people get back. uh, You know what, Aaron? I don't know why. Uh, I I can hazard a guess, but I I think it's probably just because people are burned out, uh, and there's usually a summer rally, and I think people are taking profits. But it's not universal. I mean, I think the market was up last September, as a matter of fact. But and and September's not over. It could be up this this year too. But traditionally, it just it's historically has been the worst month. But like I said, it's not like, you know, September always sucks. You know, it's not always the worst. I mean, it's tra- historically the worst month, but it's not worse by like half, you know, or anything like that. It's just a little worse. Uh, oil prices since the 1st of September are up 6%. So that's uh, th- that's a pretty pretty big increase. And the 10-year Treasury bond is ex- was exactly unchanged at 1.3%. Now, so far this year, the Dow's up 14%. The Nasdaq's up 18%. The Russell's up 13%. Oil prices up 50% so far this year. And the 10-year Treasury bond up 42%. In other words, it yields 42% more now than it did on January the 1st. So that's where we are. How are you guys feeling about the market? Blah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I mean, you know, once again, I I sound like a broken record, but I'm just kind of sitting here waiting. Like, What are you waiting for? I mean... Well, I still think you know. I still think we're due for a solid crash. So it's like, okay, you know.
0: Well, if you're feeling worried about the market, you might want to turn off this podcast right now. So sorry. Quick <laughs> update.
2: So I, I I quickly searched why September sucks, and oh, okay. tell, tell us what you found. And out. so I guess throughout periods of history, bad scenarios consistently happen in September. So we have baseball strikes, nine eleven dot com crashes. <laughs> Uh financial nice. crisis is like the, like it's just a bad month for things to happen. So I guess people just have deja vu in September.
0: But now the question is, why does why do bad things happen in September? I don't know. So you just you made the mystery worse. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird. But yeah, you know, what I was going to say though, guys, was this. I, I, in fact, I'm going to highlight some stories that I that I picked out to share with you. But I have never seen more negative stories than I have seen in this two week period, you know, cause I, I clip news all the time. I don't know what you guys do, but I, when I see a story, I try to pick a story every day and then, uh, you know, set it aside, but there, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a negative story about the stock market in the last few weeks. I'll let me, let me read a few of them to you. See, Okay. September 3rd, um, this is Barron's stocks are mixed after week job news. The number of people th- th- that was when the unemployment report came out, the U S added 235,000 jobs in August but they were expecting 720000 So the market was not happy about that. But now it gets worse, though. September 6th, from Bloomberg. Headline, Goldman cuts U.S. growth forecast as consumers sees harder path. Here's a quote. Overall expansion in 2021 is now seen at 5.7%, economist Ronnie Walker wrote to report uh, to clients on Monday. That compares with an expectation of 6% published at the end of August. Explaining the downgrade for 2021, Walker wrote that the American consumer is likely to spend less amid the Delta variant's emergence, fading fiscal support, and a switch from demand for goods to services. He added that supply chain disruptions had hit inventory restocking too. Okay, September 8th, Bloomberg, investment banks turned sour on U.S. equity outlook. Here's a quote. Strategists at Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and Citigroup issued fresh missives on the potential for negative shocks to upend a streak of gains. The spreading Delta virus strain, a flagging global growth recovery, or moves by central banks to to exit pandemic-era era stimulus programs all pose risk. High valuations have increased market fragility, a director of portfolio strategy at Goldman Sachs. If there's a new negative development, it could generate growth shocks that lead to rapid de-risking. I'll, I'll keep going. September 10th, <laughs> Bloomberg. More strategists say a storm is brewing in the U.S. stock market. It's just, it's amazing. Now, th- this yeah, is how many, uh, how Deutsche many, Bank.
2: How many negative headlines does there need to be before there's a psychological turning point in investors?
0: Uh, well, you tell me. September 13th, Wall Street Journal. U.S. stock market <laughs> faces risk of bumpy autumn, Wall Street analysts warn. I mean, it's like, you you can't swing a dead cow without hitting a negative story.
2: Yeah, I have one from the Bloomberg. They said, technical signals point to a downturn with momentum and volatility, suggesting institutional sentiment is overheated. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. wow.
1: Well, hmm. I don't know. But that's the thing, right? Like, I've been waiting for this business for a while like it's it's been overheated for a while, this isn't like well, I new. feel like I've
2: been he- hearing this kind of kind of stuff for like two years straight, and yet that really doesn't seem to change too much
0: well, two years I mean we had a huge market decline and, and a huge increase over the last two years, but I think to I think this market's just getting long in the tooth there's there It's just set a record for the number of consecutive days without a correction of at least five percent or more. I can't remember how many days it was, but it was like two hundred. I mean it was a very long time since we've had a correction. So we're due now on the one hand, on the one hand, you've got the market, they can be wrong, you know, they can also be a self-fulfilling prophecy. You, you know, the, um, what's it called, uh, Miranda, when, uh, sentiment, sentiment indicators, when people are bullish, when a whole bunch of people are bullish, the market's about to go down. Why? Because there's no buyers left. I mean, there's, there's no seller. Yeah. There's no buyers left. Everyone's already bought cause they're bullish. Therefore, the only one left is sellers, so the market's about to drop. So it's, kind of, it's a um, contrarian indicator. So what, maybe if all these investment banks think the market's about to go down, they may have already sold. Right. Therefore, the market might about to be uh, going up. What do you think, Rand? Do you think that's BS, or do you think it's possible?
1: I mean, I think it's possible. <laughs> I mean, we're just we're just in a really weird spot right now, where there's a combination of things going on, right? Like uh, we have new asset classes c- coming onto the scene. Um, we have a we have a monetary policy that tries to support the stock market at all costs. So we haven't seen a, a natural business cycle, a natural economic cycle uh, that affects the stock market, right? I mean, we would have thought during a global pandemic, like, yes, we had a flash crash. Yes, the stock market crashed last March, but it recovered in record time and then just went to the moon. And so, like, I mean, so we're in a really weird circumstance right now. And really, the question is, is how long can this last? We don't know.
2: Well, yeah, Yeah. we're also in a record, even though we don't, we still have a supply chain issue. So, I mean. One one metric that I've been using is uh, parents' capacity to buy game consoles for their child this holiday season. You know, there's still semiconductor problems, there's still shipping problems. I mean, they're telling people, you know, you may not get one of these things for your kid for Christmas.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of problems. You you guys watch Jim Cramer, uh, Mad Money, on CNBC? No, I watch him sometimes, and and he, I I like him actually. He's he's kind of abrasive, but uh, but I like him, and I think he's fairly smart. But anyway, he was, say, he was just saying this the other day, too. In addition to all these articles, he was just saying, like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hurdles to overcome here. You know, the, the supply chain issues, the fact that the Fed may be uh, taking away the punch bowl you know, and allowing interest rates to rise, the fact that the market's way extended. I mean, you know, the, it's trading at historically high price earnings ratio. Uh, there's uh, the, the uh, Delta variant, obviously. You know, there, there's a lot of hurdles here to overcome. And you know what's funny, though? Two weeks ago on this very podcast, I, was, I remember saying, I'm really happy. I think everything is going to look great because I thought, you know, I think the variant is going down. I mean, you know, slowly but surely. I mean, I think we're, we're it's certainly here in Florida. We're putting fewer and fewer people in the hospital every day. Um, and we're obviously a hot spot for this for COVID. But anyway, so I, I was thinking things are the, the clouds are starting to clear. And now two weeks later. It's cloudy as hell again, apparently.
2: <laughs> yeah, I would, I would agree. I think supply chain inflation and job reports are more of a metric now than the COVID reports.
0: Yeah, you're probably right. Well, you know that—that's my dreary, horrible news. Uh, what, what did you do? You, you see any stories that you wanted to talk about, Miranda?
1: Well, on the plus side. Uh, It looks like the Biden administration has an actual plan uh, to cut prescription drug prices. So for people who are frustrated with the cost of drugs, who are struggling a little bit, the idea is uh, the plan is to empower federal government to negotiate for drug prices in Medicare, and so that would mean lower costs overall. And then you could pass those costs along to the private sector. So there's also another roadmap that talks about different actions agencies can take, uh, some legislative changes. So it looks like there's an actual plan rather than just saying let's cut drug prices and making it a campaign promise. Uh, there's actual some legislation being there's actually some legislation being drafted and there's an actual roadmap of how to make this happen. So when you consider that the average household spends pretty close to 8% of their uh, budget, their income, their annual income, uh, they allocate about 8.1% of that uh, spending to healthcare. That's kind of a big deal. That's a big chunk of change. And so uh, prescription drug costs are a part of that, and this can actually help bring uh, that in, bring that down in a way that really does impact your pocketbook and your personal finances. Do you,
0: do you know, Miranda, if um, Medicare being able to negotiate drug prices is part of this? Plan. It is,
1: yes. Uh, yes. When you do this, that's the, that's the centerpiece of this plan. Uh, the legislation is a push to empower federal government to negotiate for drug prices in Medicare. That is the centerpiece of this plan to bring down the costs.
0: You know what I think is a huge disgrace in this country? Huge? I'll tell you, but not right now, <laughs> because I have to take a quick break. But when we come back, I'm going to tell you. Okay, we're back, and you would already know what I'm going to say. Drug prices in, the, in this country, actually health care costs healthcare in this country. In general, yeah, I mean National disgrace. You know what Horror, I wish, what, horrible, horrible
2: one, thing. One thing I wish they would do is I wish they would uh, mandate that uh, medical facilities, hospitals, everything had to post their pricing structures.
0: They, the did, they did just do that.
2: Did they do that? Well, yeah, no, hospitals.
0: Hospitals have to. But uh, did we discuss this on a podcast? Because I was just talking to somebody about it. Anyway, uh, the, that law was passed over a year ago. And hospitals, many of them have just refused to do it anyway, uh, because the the fine, don't quote me on the exact number, but it's relatively small. It's like, you know, $150,000 if they don't comply. Well, these hospital chains, that's, you know, they spill that in a the weekend. They don't care. So they're, they're not doing it anyway. Some are, but there's a really interesting article in the New York Times about uh, the, the different prices, of because they compared hospitals that were producing, or you were publishing their prices, and you would be astounded, or maybe you wouldn't be, but, uh, you know, like, I don't I, you know, I do not remember any specific procedures but they'd be $500 in one hospital and 5000 in another one in the same town. I mean it's just it what a horrible system this is. The, the healthcare system in this country is really a disgrace. It's an embarrassment. We have to buy our drugs from Canada because they're they're cheaper even though they're you know formulated and made here. I mean it's just crazy. So I really hope they do something about it. But who's who's the most powerful lobby in the United States of America? The drug companies. So I hope I hope Miranda that, that that this does something, but I'm not optimistic. I've heard this song before.
1: So well, I mean, we had a nice little break there with some happy stuff, <laughs> but my <laughs> next piece of news is uh, just this this uh, report from Bloomberg. Uh, Bloomberg reports that inequality has cost the U.S. nearly twenty three trillion dollars since 1990. So in the last 30 years. Um, the the u s economy has lost twenty three trillion dollars um, because of inequality in employment education and earnings so so that's something to think about as well like a lot of the time we think about um economics, and we think about uh, earnings, and we think about money as like a pie. And if I have a slice, then that means there's a, there's less of a slice for somebody else. But that's not really how it works. And when we have more equity in our systems, and more equity in our earning power, and more equity in general, then that's a way for all of us and for the economy to benefit overall, right? Because folks uh, folks who have experienced inequity in their outcomes, whether it's education, whether it's earnings, whether it's employment, they can't spend that money they don't have in the economy. If we bring that equity into play and we're all able to spend more in the economy, that keeps things moving. That helps everybody. So I just thought that was very interesting, um, just kind of an interesting little little report.
0: So the, the solution to inequality is to take some money off the top through taxation, I assume, And then do things, well, like the Biden plan is supposed to do, like make community college free, uh, raise minimum wage, that sort of thing, right? Is that how you close the gap?
1: And not just that, here's something that a lot of people don't think about too, uh, but something that can really help. And it's, it's sort of a really weird, simple thing, but it's talk about your salary. Uh, a lot of the time, uh, one of the things that surprised me was several years ago, and this is just me as a freelancer, but several years ago, I was having a conversation with a fellow freelance writer and he, he told me. Oh yeah, this is how much I get paid at X client for writing the articles that we do. Well, I worked for the same client. Dude was getting paid twice as much as me. No way. I had no clue. And well, whether maybe it or was not i see more
0: it, experienced, I mean, come on. No, pay, oh gosh, no, writers. no. Actually, nope. I was going to say I pay our writers different things, but I actually don't. I don't think. I think we pay our writers no, exactly No, we the same we thing. have
1: no, you pay us all the same based on the article length and the type of article yeah. that it is. Um So but no, I had more experience. And I was a better writer. I am, I am objectively a better writer than this guy. Anyway, uh, and I was just I was blown away. But part of the issue is, is we are discouraged from sharing our salary information, our benefits information, we're discouraged from sharing that. And some companies even have policies against talking about your salary because they don't want you to know. And when I worked for Student Loan Hero before it was acquired, when it was still a startup, um, they actually published a spreadsheet of everybody's salaries really? and what, what level everybody was at. And And... It was based on position, not what you could like you didn't negotiate your salary, your, your job title and your position and your years of experience were what uh, was put into your salary, but they published a spreadsheet so we could all see what everybody else was making, including the CEO, and see the metrics that fed into that. And so it was really interesting. Yeah. So I think, and that's one of the big things, right? Because so often we're told we have to negotiate for our salary. Well, Harvard did a study and they found, because everybody else is like, oh, well, if you're a woman, just ask for more money, negotiate your salary, negotiate higher. Harvard did a study and found out that women do ask, uh, not as much as men do, but women do ask uh, and try to negotiate their salaries and they're told no more than men are. Because yes, because society still expects women to be nice, and not complain. And so it's really it was a really interesting study um, from Harvard, and uh, very depressing for me. But going back to the idea of actually talking about your salary, actually enforcing salary transparency is one simple way to start working toward that equity. Um, You know, we talk about all these legislative solutions, and there are so many different ideas of what should this be and what should that do, and you can argue about it, and that can take years. But one of the simplest ways to start moving in that direction is to just talk about your salary.
0: Well, I I learned two things from this story. Number one, Miranda, I am going to talk about your salary way more often. I I don't (laughs) think I've ever discussed it, but from now on, I'm going to talk about how much money you make a lot. (laughs) And number two, I, I, yes, I do expect you to be polite <laughs> as a woman,
1: <laughs> right? And I am, I do try to be polite, but as <laughs> well, a human being, women should
0: be t- polite, and, and <laughs> but
1: not, they, but up, they have a different idea ways. of what polite means for women than for men. Polite you is know, different my, depending you know,
0: on your father used to say he your said, gender. Used to say, women should be obscene and not heard.
1: <laughs> i like that i could definitely be obscene <laughs>
0: yeah here i am sitting over here being sexist just so you guys know i'm I'm saying this stuff to miranda because she's in idaho and i'm in florida so she can't hit me
1: from
0: here. okay i've got one story left and we'll move on to what we're doing with our money um this is kind of a fun story bloomberg this came yesterday as a matter of fact sec gives whistleblower 110 million dollars in second biggest payout Here's the quote. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission awarded $110 million to a tipster whose information resulted in enforcement actions, bringing total payments under the agency's whistleblower program to more than $1 billion. The SEC has made disbursements to 207 tipsters since issuing its first award in 2012. Individuals are eligible eligible for payments ranging from 10 to 30% of the fines collected in enforcement cases. So, what do we learn from this, folks? I want you to go into your your uh, corporate corporate offices this weekend when no one's there, and I want you to rifle through the files. and I want you to find some way they're cheating the government. Call the SEC. Get yourself a hundred million dollars and retire to Jamaica. <laughs> and that 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 does not include the offices of Money Talks News, however, Aaron. Oh, Miranda, oh, because oh, oh. we don't cheat. <laughs> Nor do we discuss our salaries. We only discuss Miranda's. okay let's talk about we we can talk about the housing front if you guys want to what what story do you have well housing
2: still you know in chaos as it usually is uh so homes are on the market for about an average of 17 days and they're saying that uh the inventory is about half of what it needs to be for there to be a a balanced competitor buyer seller market out there for people to, to you know level level the playing field but there are claims out there that, you know, if you want to buy a home, that interest rates are going to stay low well into 2022.
0: Well, did, let me ask you guys that question. Then. You, I, I'm feeling like the market's high here, topping out. You know, I, I could be wrong, uh, but I, I was going to buy a new house and or another house, I should say. And I... I'm afraid the market's too high. It went up too fast here in South Florida. I mean, it's up 40% in the last couple of years. And it's just too expensive to me. But from what you're saying, Aaron, if the inventory is going to remain low, maybe the prices are going to continue going higher.
2: It's, it's good. I mean, that's, that's the biggest impact to home prices is, is uh, inventory, you know, versus buyers. I mean, if there's a lot of homes, prices are going to start to go down. There's more com- competition out there. Uh, but, you know, we got home builders. They're building, but they, they're still running into material supply issues from wood to metal. A lot of these guys are like three to six months backlog on their local permits, you know, we're losing homes to forest fires and floods the homes weren't even designed for.
0: So, I mean, what I think is, I think we're at a peak. Well, that's, I'm hoping we're at a peak because I would like to buy another house, but I wanted the prices to come down.
1: I really hope we are because I, I, I'm, I'm on the verge of buying this. Like I've been firmly on team rent for like more than a decade, but I like the house I'm renting so much that I kind of want to offer to buy it. I am
0: shocked. Really. <laughs> so I hope prices come back told down. Me you've told me this so many times on this podcast that you, want, you were happy being a renter.
1: Yeah. The, the problem is, is like in order for, for my landlord to avoid capital gains taxes on this house that I'm living in, because it was his primary residence before right. he started renting it out, he's got to sell it next year.
0: Well, I'm glad you <laughs> waited until the market was as high as it's ever been before you decided you <laughs> want to buy a house. Right? No,
1: I'm hoping that it. I'm hoping that it. I'm hoping that Aaron's right, and that we're at a peak, and that we'll go down before next yeah, year. Well, I hope so too for you. I've got 12 months. Come on, housing market, you can do it. Yeah,
2: housing has peaks and valleys, just like the stock market. So you know, if, uh, it, you know, builders. Right now is like the perfect time for builders to get going. Like, hey, while well, demand's up, let's start building.
0: Yeah, I think I think that the, and obviously all markets are local in real estate, but I, I feel like overall that the market went up too far too fast. And it's going to come down. I don't think it's going to be like 2010 come down. But I think it's going to be, you know, I think we think they could go down 10%. And, may, and they've certainly gone up more than 10%. It's ridiculous how much prices have gone up here in South Florida. Okay, let's talk about uh, investing. I'm, I'm going to bet that nobody's made a move since we talk, discussed this two weeks ago.
2: Yeah, I've just seen like a $1,000 loss in my stocks. That's it.
1: So I've not seen a huge loss, but I've seen a small loss in my experimental Portfolio, uh, the one that I keep on Robinhood um, with the penny stocks and the doge. I've seen some losses there, but uh, for the most part, my portfolio as a whole is doing okay.
0: I've, I've not had a good time over the last couple of weeks either. Uh, you know, I, was, I forgot to mention this story before, and we we're going over news, but I read an article that actually I read this today, this morning, so it didn't really apply for the first few weeks, but uh, the stock market's undergoing a slow motion deterioration. With pockets of shares down twenty percent or more, so even though it looks like the market is at a high, um, there are parts of the market that are that are in a, in a correction now. And right. I, I, for example, I own one uh, Las Vegas Sands, uh, not only a gambling stock, but also a stock that is that is almost entirely uh, deriving the revenue from uh, Macau, uh, and the Chinese government is rattling their saber about the. Uh, you know, they've been doing this for other stocks as well. But uh, other sectors of their economy. But now they're going after the uh, the gambling stocks. So this stock is tanked. Uh, it's down twenty one percent from the last time I bought it, which was July twenty second. I bought it twice. I bought it once in the in the depths of the of the COVID recession, and about the same price where it is now, about thirty seven bucks. And it went up to what's, like fifty eight. What's the play there?
2: Why why would China be doing that? they they've been doing a lot of this, dude. Yeah, what's the, the play know, there? Been, like what's the what's the mindset behind that?
0: What China's trying to do is it's actually something Miranda might appreciate. They're saying, let's let's spread this out a little bit. Let's spread the riches out. You know, you these guys, you don't get to be a billionaire. You need to give something back to to the to the little guy. And so they're just they're just coming in and making all kinds of rules and regulations and literally just taking money from the guys who started these companies. You know who Jack Ma is? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So Jack Ma owns uh, Alibaba. Let me. I'm just getting a quote right now. Alibaba is one of the biggest companies, if not the biggest, in Japan, and Japan and China. Um, it's trading at 156 dollars a share. Let's see. A year ago, it was trading at 300. Wow. Down by half. Wow. Uh, because they they they're going to these companies and saying we don't like what you're doing. Uh, you know how. In the United States, we're we're telling our congressmen, you know, let's get some privacy going here with Facebook and stuff like that. You know, Apple. You know what they're doing? They're saying we're we're making you stop doing this. They're they're not talking about it. They're making them do it. They're bringing them to heel. They don't want they don't want these corporate uh, titans to become more powerful than the government, and they're making it happen. I own um, Baidu, which I bought for two hundred dollars a share. It's now one fifty nine. Uh, and and two hundred was cheap, right? I, I I would say it well, would now be the
2: time to buy these, but now we're running the risk of them not even being offered on the New York Stock Exchange, right?
0: Yeah, they they are talking about doing that too, but I, from what I'm reading, it's just too early to tell because the the Chinese government is too unpredictable, uh, and so it's it's just sit on your hands. That's that's what I've been reading. Now some people are buying here, but Baidu was also three hundred dollars a share. When it went down to 200, I bought it. Now it's at 150. And you know what its P-E ratio is? It's, uh, let me see if I got it here. Yeah, eight. Three, eight <laughs> times earnings. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's tempting to buy more. But like I said, I, I, have, I have read a couple of guys, hedge fund guys, that say that, you know, they're going into China. But more, more often than not, most, most people are avoiding it because it's unpredictable. You know what the government's going to do. They, they really don't give a damn what the, uh, what the capitalists think you know, the guys running these companies, they'll just go in there and take their money.
1: Yeah. See, my, my main indexing portfolio for portfolio is still seeing a return of more than 40% over time. So <laughs> like, well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I'm, I'm
0: fine. I mean, I talk, talk about my losses, but I've got giant gains too. Yeah.
1: So I'm not, yeah. So, I mean, there are some losses in there. Like I said, my experimental portfolio is really struggling right now. And actually I, um, a couple of weeks ago I did, I did actually, since our last, uh, check in here. I did, uh, sell, I did take some more profits on, uh, some of the Ethereum that I had. Really? And so, yeah, I took some profits on my, some of the Ethereum that I had. Uh, I still have Ethereum left. I have lots of <laughs> Ethereum, but I went ahead and took some profits on that. Um, beca- mostly because I have a lot of travel coming up this summer. <laughs> I mean, this fall. And so I, just using it to pay for my travel. And, uh, so I took some profits on the Ethereum and that dropped my, um, my crypto portfolio down because I took profits. And so I didn't have it in the portfolio, but all of that's more than recovered now in the last couple of weeks, which is kind of interesting because, um, cryptocurrencies have been very, uh, volatile in the last couple of weeks, but I'm recovered. So, and Ethereum's back up. So Bitcoin's down, but Ethereum is up.
0: Today. Yeah, Bitco, Ethereum as we speak. Again, it's the sixteenth of September. Is thirty five hundred and seventy three dollars. Mm-hmm. And you know, by the way, I wanted to tell you something, Branda, and those of you out there also who are who are into crypto. Um, I bought some more Ethereum the other day, and I put in four thousand dollars, and my commission, my charge from Coinbase, was fifty bucks.
1: Now, yeah, the so other you day, have
0: that—that's over one percent. I think it's yes. like 1.4%. Um, so the other day, I got something from... what I have a couple of different brokerage accounts. And one of them is Interactive Brokers. And the other day, uh, Interactive Brokers sent me an email saying, we're going to start trading Ethereum. And they said, and, I, and don't quote me on this, but I believe they said that they were going to charge between 12 and 18 basis points. So that's let's call this 0.15%. <laughs> well... That's 10 times, or that's one-tenth what Coinbase charged me. Right. If that's true, then I would not be an owner of Coinbase. <laughs> I mean, if I'm going to be able to buy my, my, uh, my Bitcoin or my Ether for one-tenth the cost, I'm going to move it. I'm not, to keep, I'm not going to keep with Coinbase. So it's something to be aware of if, you're, if you own Coinbase, the stock.
1: And something you do have to be aware of, though, too, is it depends on the time and how heavy the network is being used, because fees, especially for Ethereum, are different because Ethereum, the Ethereum blockchain, charges what's called a gas fee for each transaction that takes place. So you have to pay for... Ethereum transaction. This is like if you're sending NFTs, if you are using other coins that use the Ethereum blockchain, and you're trying to trade those coins, you have to be aware of the gas fees. And they are different depending on the time of day that you trade. So
0: you're saying that they may not have overcharged me. Coinbase may not have been the problem.
1: Right. And so, I mean, Coinbase is going to take its cut and add to it. So for instance, I'm going to just pretend for a second that uh, I'm going to be uh, buying some Ethereum and it'll give me a fee here in just a second. Do, 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 one time purchase. Okay, cool. Um, but you do have to kind of um, be aware of that because uh, and the other thing, too, is a lot of the other platforms like with Bitcoin or whatever, you might also be paying miners fees. It's a little bit different than paying a gas fee. Ethereum's a little different that way. Um, so, for instance, right now, my Coinbase fee for if I was going to make a thousand dollar purchase of Ethereum, fourteen sixty eight. So, 68 you know, and that actually
0: is exactly what I paid. One point four percent.
1: Yeah. Now, so, so what we
0: need to do though is I need to. You know, l- let me do this. Let me subtract. So then maybe 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 Coinbase
1: maybe Coinbase is just charging that fee. I didn't check into how Coinbase charges its fees. Sorry guys, but maybe Coinbase is just charging that kind of a fee and then just absorbing whatever the uh, cost is, whatever the gas cost is.
0: Okay. Well, what I'll do is, like I said, let me retract everything I just said. Let me go ahead and see what the exact fee is. I'm not going to do it now because I'm not as familiar with the uh, with the. Uh, Interactive Brokers As I am with Coinbase Uh, But uh, Next time we talk I will let you know What the exact fee would be Because I don't want to I don't want to Trash Coinbase If if indeed uh, Interactive Brokers Is going to be The same thing So let me Let me try to buy it there And I'll I'll report back Next time we We get together So in the meantime That is all we have For our show today Uh, We're out of time But we're never out of topic You just want to dig A little deeper Of course you do You're going to find links To tons of info And I mean link after link in our show notes. And remember, if your goal is to make more, to spend less, to retire rich, your online home is moneytalksnews.com. And don't forget to check out Miranda's online home as well. That's Miranda, Marquit, M-A-R-Q-U-I-T dot com. If you've got a question, comment, or topic you'd like to suggest, we'd love to hear from you. Just email us, hello at moneytalksnews.com. That's hello at moneytalksnews.com. And one last thing, if you appreciate what we're doing, do something for us. Subscribe to this podcast. It takes you two seconds, really helps us out. So if you like us, show us and subscribe. I'm Stacy Johnson.
1: And I'm Miranda Marquette. And I'm still confused.
0: <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us, guys. We're going to see you right here next time.